0: listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. How is everybody this morning? Dry? All right, well, uh, before we get started this morning, I want to take a minute and just uh, just open us up in prayer. I tell you, we've got a great worship team, but man, they are singing about a great God, amen. And so I just want to keep us in that mindset of worship this morning. I want to open us up in a word of prayer, okay? Uh, dear God, I just thank you so much for... Your grace, um, Lord, Lord, truly everything we do should be an offering, dear God. Everything we do should be uh, from You uh, and for You and through You, dear God. It's all for You, God. And Lord, as this, all, this morning as they were just singing about uh, it's Your breath in our lungs, dear God, I just pray this morning, dear God, that as we come into this time, dear God, I just pray that your word would be lifted up, but dear God, not as from me, but dear God, uh, dear Lord, you, it's your breath in my lungs. I just pray today that you would be honored through this word, God, and I just pray even right now, dear God, that you would be working on people's hearts and people's lives, dear God, to prepare them to hear this word, God. I just pray that, uh, Lord, I pray today that the uh, the veil would be lifted off of people's eyes so they could hear your word and know as you speaking to them, dear God, and that you would change their lives, God. Lord, more than anything, we just want to know more of you, God, and we want to live our lives in line with your word and what you say and how we should live, God. I just pray that uh, you would be honored in everything we do today, dear God, because you truly are great. And I just uh, I thank you so much uh, that we get to come here this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, so uh, to, to help us get started this morning, I want to tell you a story. Uh, my mom used to have, I think she still might have it, it was a Jeep Liberty, like an 05 model. And like, I don't know if you've ever drove, drove, driven one of those compact Jeep Liberties, right? But it's like not the best vehicle in the world to drive. I, I hated driving it when I was uh, growing up learning how to drive. But it was an upgrade. The car she had before that was a, like a Ford Freestar. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like the minivan kind? Yeah. So it was an upgrade, right? So when she got this car, uh, it was around the time uh, that I would be learning how to drive in this vehicle, right? And so when I turned 15, when I naturally went with my mother places, the car that I drove was this Jeep Liberty, right? And so I don't know if she uh, remembers this, but uh, I'll be able to know really quick whether, and by the look on her face. Uh, we were going to Statesboro one day in this 2005 Jeep Liberty, you know, and she was bold enough to let me drive in Statesboro, right? Probably the first time I'd ever driven in Statesboro. And I don't know if you're from Statesboro, but like the main stretch there in the old part of Statesboro where, uh, where 25 go, turns into 80 and there's like the old McDonald's and the mall and all that, that's the worst road ever, right? Because it, it's just too much traffic on that small road. Well, I'm in this Jeep Liberty, and the thing about this Liberty is that you can't see all the way around you. And it doesn't matter what, what, how you look, there's always a spot where you can't see, right? So we, we were turning uh, left off of, off of 80 there, and I, I looked behind me and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm good, nothing's behind me. And she said, yeah, there's a car behind you. And I looked again, I was like, there's no car behind me, what are you talking about? So I was like, my mother's obviously crazy, I'm 15, I've been driving for two months, I can drive, she can't, let me handle this, right? And so I pull over, and when I start doing it, she begins to let out the worst screech you ever heard. And you're like, oh, my God, you're going to kill us, right? And about that time, guess what else I hear? Somebody else laying on the horn, laying on it. And so I uh, jerked the wheel back into my lane. It's a miracle that I didn't flip this thing, right? Because it's like it's every bit as wide as this TV up here, like just to give you some. And it's on wheels, like it was just a miracle, right? But guess what I didn't see? I had a what? Does anybody know what it's called? A blind spot, right? And so I want you just to have that in your mind as we start this out today. Because we've been going through this series, Dark Corners, and we're calling out things in our life that we're blind to, right? And so this morning, we're going to uh, continue on in that theme. But the topic today, the, the sin today, the dark corner that we're going to be looking into today is the dark corner of prejudice and racism. And so like, even as I say that, some of y'all are like, huh, where are we about to go with this, Right? But the reason I tell you the story about the blind spot is that from the outset today as we get started, because of where we live and the culture in which we grew up, we need to be aware going into this that we could have some blind spots, right? And so I want to challenge you, before we ever open up the Scripture, before we ever look at the Word, don't take your first inclination. Don't take the first thought in your mind as absolutely right. Instead this morning, I want you to open your Bibles and I want you to read along with me and I want you to be open to the fact that if God knows everything and you grew up in Millen, Georgia or Bullock County or Scriven County or wherever it is you grew up, I want you to be open to the fact that if God's all-knowing and you were born here, that God might know a little bit better than you do, right? So I want you to be open this morning as we start that I might have a blind spot that I need to deal with. I can tell you this, as I started preparing for this message, I realized that I had some blind spots that I need to deal with. And I hope this morning that you'll, you'll feel that same way as we close. You know, there's no doubt about it that this is the most tender topic in our nation right now. Would anybody disagree with that? You, can, you, you, you turn on the news, and I guarantee you, you're going to be hearing about one of, th- uh, one of three things. You're either going to be hearing about Donald Trump, I'm sorry... You're going to be hearing about Hillary Clinton, I'm sorry, or you're going to be hearing about race, right? That it, you Turn on the news. This, this is a tender topic right now. And guess what, guys? People are getting angry about this. You turn, some people are talking and some people are angry. Some people are, 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 are mad at other people, right? We're rioting. There's things going all over, all, over, all over the place that we can tell this is a tender topic, all right? And so as I was thinking about this, I was kind of confused in my heart and perplexed in my heart because as I was preparing for this message, I'm faced with a few challenges this morning. I just want to be upfront and honest with you about those challenges, all right, as as I was thinking, I thought to myself, I wondered how can I possibly preach a message on racism and look to my African-American brothers and sisters and sufficiently apologize for the things that they've suffered under, uh, under oppressive uh, regimes, under oppressive structures, all right? Because as we get into this, guys, we're going to talk about how we need to own stuff. We need to sympathize for the stuff. How can I sympathize with an African-American brother or sister that I've never walked the same path with? Can we agree this morning that we've all walked different paths? People, here's what we need to be aware of. We need to stop being so self-centered and realize that people go through different things than what we go through. Just because your experience is is different from somebody else's doesn't mean your experience is the way it is for everybody else. We need to be open to that. I was also kind of perplexed about how I can talk to my white brothers and sisters about how we have such a long way to go in reality without you tuning me off in the first five seconds. Because here's the reality that I know. Nothing is more frustrating to a white person than to hear about racism and prejudice and say there's still a problem when we don't think there's a problem. Right? Because some of of us, right, if we're honest, we got a black president. Racism's dead. That's what we think. Prejudice is dead. But this morning, I want us to dive in a little bit deeper and see that, guys, there's still work to be done. We're not there yet. We're not perfect yet. And then I was challenged to how I could preach the Word of God in such a way that black or white, we could see the horrible, predetermined, prejudices, and stereotypes that we walk around with every day. It it boils down to this. How can I preach with tenderness to those of you who have suffered at the hands of racism? How can I shake awake those of you who don't see a problem? And how can I rightly rebuke those who are now living in the sin of racism and prejudice? So with all that being said, here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to open the Bible, and I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about prejudice and racism. And you got two options from the outset. We all got two options. If you're white, you can get mad and stick your head in the sand and say this ain't a problem and go home and be like, I can't wait for Jeremy to preach again because he don't Dallas don't know what he's talking about, right? Guess what? I'm preaching next week, so you're gonna want to wait two weeks. <laughs> Alright? Or we can hear what the Word of God says and do it. Or if you're black, you can get mad at everything that's gone wrong and focus on what's gone wrong and be mad and be bitter. Or we can hear what the God, Word of God says and exercise forgiveness. That's the, that's the two options. Everybody's got them. Get mad or hear the Word of God. I don't care if you're white, black, brown, yellow, or green this morning. That's where we're going from. All right? So I, I just want to be honest with you up front. So if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to open that Bible to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to read. So I'm going to give you my outline while you're turning there. I want you to see three things this morning. I only got three points. I hope I can preach it real quick. Three points. Will you give me 30 minutes, right? Thank you. Uh, Three points. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that racism and prejudice is still a problem. So that's going to be the first thing I want to show you through this text. The second thing I want to show you this morning is that worship kills racism. All right? Worship kills racism. And then the third thing I want you to see this morning is Jesus kills racism. Okay, so that's where we're going. So if you got your Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. And the Bible says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one on heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in the seven seals. Verse 6, And between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sit out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. If you got a pen, I want you to get your pen ready. If you're one of those people who writes in Your Bible, I'm going to let you underline some stuff, all right? And the Bible says in verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. So if you write in your Bible, underline this, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God. Then it keeps on going, from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign. If you write in your Bibles, I want you to circle something for me. I want you to go back to verse 9, and I want you to circle every tribe, and I want you to circle language. It might say language or tongue in your Bible. And I want you to circle people, and I want you to circle nation. Because that's where this whole message is going to be built from today, okay? So that's where we're going. So let's dive right in. The first thing I want you to see from this text this morning is that racism and prejudice is still a problem, all right? And now, I don't think i got to do a whole lot to convince you about that, because like I said, it's everywhere around us, all right? White people still don't like black people. Black people still don't like white people, right? Muslims still hate Christians, all right? Americans still shun Muslims. Rich people still exploit poor people. Poor people still don't look to rich people and like rich people, right? There's racism and prejudice, all right? These, these predetermined prejudices in our heart, right, toward other people. I don't think I have to convince you a lot of that this morning, but I, as, as I was thinking about this, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, other than the news, which we're going to talk about news in just a second, how does racism and prejudice still play out in our daily life? All right, in our daily walk, I want us to think about how racism and prejudice still play out. And I want to give you four ways that I, as, as I'm thinking about this, racism and prejudice still play out. The number one way, all right, and I'm just going to be faithful to what's going on around us right now, and I'm going to address the current issues, the number one way that we see that racism and prejudice is still alive is by police violence. So you write that down, alright? And before we even get crazy this morning, alright? Before we even get crazy, because I can look at some of y'all and be like, man, he, he, he's a liberal. He's been watching MSNBC, right? He, he's a liberal thinking police violence is still discriminatory, right? Before we even get crazy, I want you to think about this. Alright? Let's use our judgment. Let's use what we see on, let's use what we see around us, alright? When we turn on the news, people. I don't care whether you're one of those people who watch Fox or one of those people who watch MSNBC or CNN or whatever. When you turn on the news and every other day we see that a young black man has been killed by more than likely a white cop, we have to realize that at some point there's a problem, right? I don't think I have to prove you. I don't have to prove that to you. Turn on the TV, right? See it. And if you're one of those people who's just like, it's liberal media, man. It's liberal media making this problem. Like, just talk to me after church, right? Because you're not going to get anything out of this message. All right? We see that it's still a problem. But before I go any further, before we get crazy in the fact that, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about, we as Christians have got to learn to exercise dual empathy all right? That's a, that's a very important word, dual empathy, all right? See, because here's what happens. We live in a society that when you take a stand for something, you're automatically making a stand against something else, right? So the way that works is when all this is going on, we can't look at the fact that a young black man lost his life and that a white cop shot him. We can't look and say, you know what? I, I hate the fact that another young black man lost his life. That I hate the fact that he was gunned down unjustly. I hate We can't look at that and say I hate that because here's what we think that means. It mean we think that it means I also hate cops. Right? That's what we, in our minds we say. I can't say anything bad about this situation because everybody's gonna think I hate police officers. People, just because you don't like one thing doesn't mean that you necessarily don't like another thing, right? If I say to you this morning, all right, if I say to you, and y'all can look that jury all you want, you cannot agree with me. But let me tell you something. If I say to you that Black lives matter, it does not necessarily mean that Blue lives don't. All right. We need to learn to look at people and say, you know what? I hate the fact that cops are put in such a bad situation day after day. I look at them and I respect the job they do. I don't want to do that job myself. I'm thankful for the police officers, especially the good ones. But we also need to be able to look at situations and say, I hate to see a young black man lose his life. Now, I don't understand why that's so hard for Christians. I don't understand why we can't have dual empathy. I read this quote, and I think it makes perfect sense. This is how we show dual empathy. Listen, all right. So, on the side of of young black men losing their lives, we say, there has been no ethnic group that has borne the brunt of the brokenness and systems and structures in the United States of America like our African American brothers and sisters have. We do not have equal historical place in America. History shows, I'll repeat, that betrayal of African Americans by the very Systems and structures that, that were meant to protect them. All right, that one guy said that. Then he also said this. The job of first responders is surely one of the most difficult and dangerous jobs in America. They have courtside seats for the most deplorable, evil, despicable things imaginable. They routinely deal with violent, the the violent, the mentally ill, and the desperate. Would you believe that one man said both of those things? He looked at both situations, and he felt empathy in his heart for both situations. We have to, learn to be dual, we have to learn to show dual empathy. We can go two directions at one time with our emotions. See, but here's the fact. Very, very few of us know how to think like that. Very few of us are grounded in the world enough to know how to think that way. And I know this for a fact because you betray the way you think on Facebook, right? You get on there and you say, hey, blue lives matter, baby. And then the way you word things and the way you say things, you know what you're really saying? Hey, black lives don't. Or you get on there and you say, black lives matter, but the way you word things and the way you say things, say, hey, I don't really care about our first responders. Listen, I'm going to just be honest with y'all. The best thing most of y'all can do is get off Facebook. And y'all don't think I'm lying. I took it off my phone. The only access I have to it is once a day on my computer. Listen, my life is 100% better because I don't have to deal with 100 opinions coming at me at one time. You know whose opinion I value? God's. We need to learn how to think, all right? And listen, sometimes the way we think about this betrays the the reality of how we feel. Because in a lot of conversations, I've had conversations about this before with people, all right? And people say, well, if they would just do what they told, they wouldn't get shot, right? And when you first hear that, you're kind of like, amen. You get told to get on the ground, get on the ground, right? Let me ask you something. Do black people... And some of the, we we got a few black people here. Black people are like, oh Lord, he's giving it to them today. Right? And white people are like, why y'all on us so hard? All right? Do black people not deserve to be treated the same as white people? And here's what I mean by that. When you get pulled over, if for no reason at all the police officer says, get on the ground, what's your first response? We might get on the ground, but guess what? We're probably going to be a little bit mouthy. Guess what? We probably ain't going to just follow orders all the same way. Because here's the thing. Here's what I had to realize as I was learning how to have dual empathy. When I get pulled over, I have a certain idea of how I need to be treated. Other people deserve that same right, guys. And here's, here's where it really hit home for me as I was thinking about this. Some of you, if you've got a teenager, raise your hand. If you've got a teenager, raise your hand. All right, check this out. If you've if you got a teenager who drives, this is what's going to happen. They're going to come home one day. And they're going to tell you, Mama, I got pulled over, all right? Let's, just, let's use this in the case of a white teenager. I got pulled over. What if they told you that, what happened, baby? Well, he came to the door. He didn't ask me what I was doing. He said, get out and get on the ground. Now, y'all can't tell me, mamas, that y'all ain't going to have a problem. Y'all going to be like, not nah, my baby. <laughs> then you're going to go down to the sheriff's office, and this is what they're going to say. Well, ma'am, he had 17 guns on him and three grams of drugs. <laughs> and you're going to be like, well, he didn't tell me that, right? Right? <laughs> But still, you didn't have the right to tell him to get on the ground. You could have told him something else, right? You're mad. You're mad. You're mad. Guys, give the same respect and courtesy to other people that you think you deserve. We betray ourselves in the way we think. All right, I got I to run through this a little bit faster. So one way is, uh, is police violence. And I wanted to hit on that because, listen, we have to talk about this stuff. We have to know what Christ expects. Another way is preferential treatment, all right? This is giving preference to somebody who looks like you. I've been in checkout lines where I was treated worse because of the color of my skin than the person behind me was because was treated better because of the color of theirs. And it works both ways, right? I've seen people who are black be treated worse because of the color of their skin. I've seen people who look poor be treated worse because they look shabby. I've seen treated who look rich people who look rich treated better because they look rich, right? It works like this. Preferential treatment. How about natural segregation? Do you know the most, nat, the most segregated time in America every week? It's from 11 to 12 on Sunday mornings. You know why? Because this is what we still think in our minds a lot of times. Well, they're going to go to their church and I'm going to go to my church. Right? Natural segregation. We naturally go towards those who they look like. And then this, predetermined stereotypes. We look at people and form an opinion on them b- before we ever talk to them, right? And we all do this. Don't say you don't, because it, it works for me every time I fly, right? When I fly, man, if there's, I ain't, I'm, this is just reality. If I see somebody in a turban up ahead of me, I'm calling and be like, listen, baby, my life insurance is paid up. I probably ain't coming home. <laughs> I, I, I heard him. He was talking in Arabic. I don't really know what he was saying, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I heard the word bomb in there, right? <laughs> And like you, just, you, you, make these, you make these judgments in your head, seriously, in all honesty. This is what we do. We look to people and we form opinions before we ever move forward. But, so we know racism is still around, but why? Why does it still persist? After we've come so far, after so many have given their lives, why is it still around? I want to tell you something this morning. The heart of the problem of racism is the problem of the heart. Did you catch what I just said? The heart of the problem of racism is the problem of the heart. Check this out. We all have sinful hearts. And you know what that means? Every single person in this room, whether white or black, at some point or either currently right now is struggling with racism because we all have sinful hearts. And don't come here this morning saying, oh, I don't struggle with this at all. I never struggle with this because that's the whole point of Revelation chapter 5. I want you to look at verses 3 and 4. And in in verses 3 and 4, John sees a vision of of Christ on a throne and this angel comes to him and says, who is worthy to open this scroll, right? This scroll was supposed to predict like it's supposed to be God's will, right? So who's, who's worthy to know God? God's will is the question. And this is what, that, what John says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. You know what that means? Nobody was good enough. Nobody was perfect. Nobody was without sin to be able to know God's will, Right? You know what that means? You know what that tells me? That we're all sinners. You came here this morning with a racist tendency in your heart, and I don't care if you're the best person in here. I don't care if you're the worst person in here. I don't care if you've been saved for 10 years or 10 minutes. You came in here with sin in your heart, right? And so I want you to see that this morning. So this is bad news, guys. This isn't good news. If we're all sinful, if the heart of the problem of racism is the problem of the heart, and we've got sinful hearts, I got bad news for you guys. You're going to keep cutting on the TV, and you're going to keep seeing problems with racism. It it ain't going nowhere because as long as there are sinful human beings, there is going to be sin and there's going to be racism. So that's that's bad news, guys. But that brings me to the second thing I want you to see this morning. And that's that worship kills sin. Check this out. We as Christians do not have to be content to live in a world where racism is evident. We don't have to be content to live in a world where people live with racism in their heart. We don't have to be content to live in a world where people are prejudiced against one socioeconomic type or another. We don't have to be content for that because here's what I want you to see this morning is that worship kills racism. I want you to look at verse uh, verse 9. There, the Bible tells us that there there were people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So every tribe, language, people, and nation. Here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture the throne of God surrounded by people. All right. And your natural tendency when you picture God and you picture people is to picture God who looks just like you and then picture people around God who look just like you do, because that's the way our mind works. Right. But what the Bible is telling us here is that on the last day, when everything comes to is settled and God is elevated on high, there are going to be people in heaven worshiping God and they're going to be all shades of colors. They're gonna be green, yellow, purple, blue, black, whatever color you wanna put in there, they're gonna be every tribe, language, and nation. They're gonna be people who look different than you are. And that's amazing. We get the picture of God on a throne, and there's somebody from every language. There's Spain, there's Spanish there, and there's Portuguese there, and there's Italian there, and there's German there, and they're different colors, and they're all saying, God, we serve the same God, you are good. Guys, I don't know about you, but that should, that should excite you this morning. That's the reality we're going to. Here's what I want you to see there. I want you to notice what you're seeing in this picture. What you're not seeing, what you're not seeing there, seeing there is racism. People, don't, people aren't looking around and saying, you know what, I can't worship next to this person because he's a different color than I am. God, I know you're on the throne here and you're pretty awesome, but I don't know if you notice it, God, but he's black. <laughs> there ain't nobody saying that here. Right, But let me tell you what you do do, do see. You see worship happening here. Here's what I want you to see. The reality is where true worship of God happens, racism is killed. And that's because you cannot worship God and have hate in your heart towards someone else. So when you really worship God, when you really come in here on Sunday mornings and raise your hand and you feel the Holy Spirit come over you, you know what's happening? Racism in you is dying because you can't worship and raise your hand and say, God, you are good and hate somebody who is created in God's image. That's not the way it works. And then I want you to see too, that not only does worship kill racism, but hey, this is where we're heading for all of eternity. So I don't know if any of you know how this works. And the book of Revelation is a future vision, right? It's not here and now. It's it's, it's somewhere in the future. And so what John is saying he's seeing is that one day in the future... The ultimate destination of the whole world is working toward one moment in time where people from every skin color and language and culture will worship together with God. And I've got I to tell you something. Martin Luther King Jr. had a good dream. Y'all remember the dream speech? I have a dream that one day the, my children will be judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. That was a great dream. i got, I got news for you. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream was too small. Because Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed that we could all dwell in unity, but the Bible says that there's going to be a day when we worship in unity, and worshiping with each other is far better than living next to each other. I got to tell you this, and I feel like you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of you here this morning who are hearing this and you're, you're understanding what I'm saying. But I want you to realize that if in the, if you make it there at all, if you make it to this picture and you you got a little racism in your heart. You got a little hatred for somebody else in your heart. You look at people who are different than you, whether they be uh, black or white or Muslim or, Cri- or some other, Jude- Jude- Jewish or whatever. If you got that in your heart and you make it to this point, you're going to look around and you're going to be awful unhappy at that day. If you make it there at all. Because it's going to be every tribe and every tongue but this has implications for us right now. So so I'm telling you this is in the future, but what does this mean for us right now, guys? You're hearing me talk about racism and how we shouldn't be racist and how we shouldn't be prejudiced. What does this mean for us right now? I'm going to tell you three things this means for us right now, okay? Number one, this means that a church where racism exists is not a real church. So if we want to be a real church, if we want to be a church that really honors God, let me tell you what that means. It means that we cannot let racism or prejudice live in this place. Because you can't worship God where racism or prejudice exists. Hey, and check this out. A a church is where God's worshipped. So if we're going to be a real church, racism and prejudice can't exist. Another thing this means for us as a church right now is that we should be seeking diversity right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I am not content. It's funny how you notice things when you're preaching on racism. Right? So right now I've noticed that there are two black people in here. I probably would have never noticed that on any other Sunday, right? So that means effectively 2% of our, our congregation, three black people, I'm sorry. I didn't see Melissa back here. Hey, Melissa, how you doing? <laughs> I want you to realize something. That means effectively 3% of our adult congregation that's worshiping right now is black. I am not content to look up and see a church that is 97% white. And that ain't because I don't like white people, right? I got a kind of a bias toward white people, Right? It's because I want our church to look like the kingdom of God, and I'm not going to be content until it does. That means we need every color in here, not just white, not just black, not just Mexican, whatever, every color. This also means for us right now that we should long to see other people saved that are not like us. Let me ask you something. How many times a week, a day, a month, or whatever, do you cross paths with somebody and have the opportunity to have a conversation with them about the gospel? All right? A lot, right? How many times are those people different than you are? Probably a lot. You probably come into contact all week, all month long with people who look different than you, people who talk different than you, people who act different than you. What this passage is telling us is that we should absolutely long for people who are different than us to come to know Jesus. I don't understand it, guys, how we can look to another human being and see another eternal soul before us and not say, God, I want you to save this person. It doesn't matter what color they are, right? It doesn't matter where they're from, right? We should look to them and say, God, I I want you to save them. I don't care what they're going through. I want you to save them. How can we not care that that person will either spend an eternity in hell or an eternity in heaven, right? And I got something else for you. Our comments on this betray the way we think too because if I've heard this statement a lot, right? And I'm going to flip the switch from black and white here to uh, uh, American and Muslim, all right? So I've heard this statement a lot. I think the best thing we can do, because you know we're all political experts here in Millen, Georgia. I think the best thing we could do is just drop a bomb on them over there. Kill them all. Women, children, men, don't matter. Kill them all. And when I hear that, my first inclination is this thing. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Man, I'm some I'm kind of glad you ain't president. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just kill them all, right? But what we're really saying when we say stuff like that is those people's eternity don't matter. I don't care if they know Jesus. I don't care if they've ever heard the gospel. It would be easier for me to turn on the news and never have to hear about them again. It'd be easier for me to never have to hear about Iran posting up more nuclear bombs. It would be easier for me if we just killed them all. And what we're saying is, I don't care if we send every last single one Muslim to hell. How can we look at another person who's an eternal soul and say, I don't care? The only way you cannot care is if you've never experienced that salvation yourself. Last thing I want you to see today is that Jesus kills racism. So worship kills racism, but also Jesus kills racism. So uh, Jesus teaches us a couple of things. I want to show you a couple of ways that Jesus kills racism. The first way that Jesus kills racism is that Jesus teaches us to sympathize with other people. Does everybody know what that word "sympathize with" means? it means to to how, learn how to understand it means to put yourself in somebody else's place and listen and understand and learn how they think right i want you to see how jesus teaches us to sympathize other things look at look at verse uh 8 and 9. I, I thought about this as I was reading this verse. And the Bible says, And when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. So the Lamb there is Jesus Christ. I don't know if y'all know that. Anytime it says the Lamb, that's Jesus, right? The Lamb, each holding holding, goals, go, holding bowls of incense, which are prayers of the saints. All right, uh, skip back up to verse 5. I read the wrong verse. It says, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah. So who's the line of the tribe of Judah? Anybody know? Jesus, right? The line of the tribe of Judah has conquered. So these elders, when when things when the when John's crying, he's saying, Oh God, nobody's gonna be worthy to kill this sin. He says, fear no more, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Now, what's he talking about there? He's obviously talking about Jesus coming, Jesus dying on the cross, and Jesus rising again, right? He conquered sin, and he conquered death. But I want you to think about how it started, how Jesus' conquering started, right? Jesus' conquering started with Jesus' coming. I want you to think about, as Jesus was in heaven, all right? So Jesus existed before the earth was created. He has always been with God. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus has always existed. God set the earth in motion, created the earth, and Jesus is in heaven with God while the earth is going on, right? And one day, Jesus leaves heaven. That's what He does. He leaves heaven, all right? He is perfect, all glorious, just on, in, in heaven, on high, being worshiped day in and night, Jesus', co- Jesus is conquering starts with his coming because he leaves heaven. Now, I want you to think about how different Jesus was when he left heaven than us. All right? Here's what I want you to understand Jesus was God. We are not. All right? Here's what I want you to get this morning Jesus was perfect. We are not. He was sinless. We are sinful. He is holy. We are dirty. He is all-powerful. We can't get out of bed in the morning. Jesus created everything. John 1 verse 1 and 2. Jesus created everything, but yet I can't seem to get the toilet in my house to work right. Think about how different Jesus is than I am. Think about how different Jesus is than all of you. And guess what? He came to this earth. And He learned to sympathize with me and you. Think about it. Jesus became a baby like us. Jesus had never been a baby. He, was, he always was. He was never created. Jesus became a baby. He subjected Himself to, being, to having a dirty diaper. The Lord of all the universe subjected Himself to soiling on itself. Jesus got hungry like we did. The God who never had a want became like us and needed food Jesus was tempted like we did like we are the God who has never sinned came to earth and suffered temptation of sin like we are like we do and Jesus died like we do why did he do all that? he did it so we could rise like he did Here's what I want you to get. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus knows what you're going through this morning. But one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let me tell you what that verse is telling us. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. God knows what it's like to be you. Now here's what I want you to understand. If Jesus, who is one million times different than we are, Just one million times more infinitely glorious, more infinitely good, more infinitely sinless. Jesus, who is so different than we are, if he took time to sympathize with us, how can we not take time to sympathize with people who are different than us? If Jesus did it, he expects you to do it. I say that word sympathize. What does that word sympathize mean? It means this. Sympathy literally looks like caring for other people. It looks like seeing somebody who looks different than you do and saying, I don't care that we're different. I care about you. I want, what, I want for you what I want for myself. Sympathy looks like t- tearing down walls to know people. Do you know that Jesus had to overcome sin so that we could have a relationship with Him? How can we say, well, you're just so different than I am. I'm not really going to take time to know you. Jesus tore down the biggest obstacle in his path to know us. Sympathy looks like trying to understand how other people see things. It looks like a young black man getting shot. And before you take time to post on Facebook your opinion about how he should have done what he was told, going to the one black friend you got and saying, How do you see this? Because I don't really understand. And then listening to what they have to tell you instead of giving your opinion. Sympathy looks like trying to learn from others. Jesus grew in strength and understanding. That means as a human, Christ had to learn from other people. If Christ had to learn from other people, we need to learn from other people. Listen, I had the most unexpected just joy the other day. I was going going somewhere with a group of people And there was uh, one black man in the midst of these group of people. And it just so happened that this one black man and myself were the only people in a vehicle. And guys, I didn't even ask what God was doing in his life. I didn't even ask how you've been. I I, I didn't even ask any of that stuff. But this black man sat there and talked to me for 20 minutes. And I got to tell you something. And those 20 minutes sitting there talking to him, I learned more. Not about black and white. I learned more about being a good husband, being a good father, about loving your kids, about praying when times are hard. In 20 minutes, I learned more from him than I've learned from some of my friends in the past two years. And in that moment, God spoke to me. He said, see, I got people who I want to invest in you all over the place. All you got to do is take time to learn. That's what it means to sympathize with people. Learn from them. And then I want to share with you one more way Jesus kills racism. Jesus kills racism by killing sin. So I told you earlier that the, problem, uh, the heart of the problem of racism is the problem of the heart, right? You remember I told you that? Here's the good news. Jesus Christ came to give us new hearts that are without sin. Then look at verse 9. It says there, For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God. How does Jesus give us a new heart? It starts with those words, you ransomed us. Why did God have to ransom us? I I got to tell you this. God had to ransom you because racism was only one of the sins in your heart. If we're honest this morning, you got a whole lot of other problems besides racism. Yeah, you're a racist. I'm a racist. You're a racist. You're a racist. You're a racist. You're also a liar. You're also a cheater. You're also lustful. You're also an adulterer. You also steal, right? And you say, "I hadn't never done any of those things. Well, one or two of them I've done. But I hadn't. Do- I hadn't never killed nobody." Jesus says, "If you're angry in your heart, you've murdered your brother." Jesus says, "If you look upon a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery." Jesus had to ransom us because we. All had wicked, dirty, sinful hearts, and Jesus came to ransom us. He He bought us back. What was the price? Look there. It says, "For you are you ransom people for God." Right above that, it said, How's it does?" It says, "By your blood, the price that Jesus Christ had to pay to ransom our hearts from sin was His blood." For us to have life, Jesus had to die. For us not to steal, Jesus had to die. For us to have hearts that were free from lust, Jesus had to die. From us to have hearts that were free from racism, Jesus had to die. And what I want you to see this morning is that through the power of the gospel, Jesus died on the cross to change your heart. And some of you here this morning, you got a million sins in your life, racism is one of them, that you're just content to live with. Well, I'm only a little bit racist. I don't say anything racist to a black person. That's what you, all right? I'm only a little bit lustful. I, don't, I just look at women. I don't actually cheat on my wife. I'm only, a little bit, I'm only a little bit greedy. I only cheat on my taxes. I don't steal money, right? That's how we think. But I got news for you. A lot of you are letting yourself live in this constant sin and Christ has come to ransom you from sin. There is no way to be a Christian and continue on in sin. The Word of God says that. Let Christ work in your heart this morning to get out what He doesn't want. It's the real question this morning isn't whether or not you're a racist. It isn't whether or not you're prejudiced. The real question is, are you a sinner who has been covered in the blood of Christ? Because I know that you're a racist. And I know that you're lustful. I know that you're a thief. I know that you're a murderer until you've been covered in the blood of Christ. Because that's the only power by which we change. And listen, as I close right now, I told you at the beginning, you got two options. I'm going to sit down and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be happy. I'm going to go home I'm going to go to bed tonight and I'm not going to lose one ounce of sleep based on what anybody thought of this message. Because I've told you what the Bible says. And here's your options going forward. If you've never known Christ today, in your heart, you know that this sin lives on in you. You can know Christ today. I'm going to be standing right there. The prayer team's going to be standing right there. You can come afterward and say, I need to know Christ. I've never been changed. We'll be right there. If you are saved and you see some of this in yourself, and I know you do because as I was preparing this message, I I felt it. You You need to do some things going forward. You need to seek to love people who are different than you are. You need to seek to sympathize with people. Literally start taking time to know and love other people. And long for people who are different than you are to be saved. Regardless of color. Lastly, I want to do one thing. And some of you might move, some of you might not. I don't care. But the reality that this is a tender topic, there's there's no denying it. And I want to pray today as a Christian that God would start to unite us in the blood of Christ regardless of skin color or nationality or any other difference. So... If you are a Christian, and and, and maybe this message has convicted you just a hair, I'm going to ask that when the music starts, if you don't need to come talk to me, or you don't need to come talk to anybody on the prayer team, why don't you come to this altar and pray for God to unite people. Pray for God that when you turn on the news tomorrow, we don't have to see this anymore. Pray for God that you could actually love people that are different than you. Pray that we could actually be a church where black and white and brown and yellow worship together. Pray for that this morning. That's what this altar is for. It's not a stage. It's not a prop. We want want to invite you into that this morning to know Christ in that way. So as I pray, that's what we're going to do going forward. I pray that God works in your heart this morning. Let's pray. God, I've only said what I felt like you called me to say, Jesus. I pray, Lord that you would rightly rebuke those who are living in racism. God, I pray with tenderness, God. I pray with tenderness that if anybody suffered under the hand of racism, God, that you would tell them that they matter to you, that no matter what somebody else said to them, they are not less valuable based on the color of their skin, whether white or black or whatever. God, I pray that you would help us kill prejudice in our heart. And I pray that we would leave this place to glorify your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.